so I have, uh, I've been asked to, uh, read a statement. Um, the, uh, Adventures Vault and Night Owl Productions does not discriminate on the basis of ancestry, background, or class. We believe all playstyles and character choices are valid, and that all campaigns should be treated with dignity and respect. Uh, any statements made by individuals with personal views and not consistent with the views of the podcast. Uh, furthermore, I would like to apologize for any statements that offended or angered uh, players or game masters. Uh, I was kind of having a bad day, so could you please stop blowing up my inbox? Uh, oh, and uh, now on to this very special epilogue episode. Oh, we found out some stuff or something. I, I, I don't really know what happens. I, I spent all weekend meetings with HR. This is the Adventurer's Vault. Follow our epic journeys and hear amazing tales. Join our heroes as they bravely face grave dangers and mysterious evils in distant and unknown lands. Be sure to visit our website, theadventurersvault.com, for episodes, links, and show notes. Music and sounds provided by Sirenscape. And now, it's time to open... The Adventurer's Vault. Good day, listeners. This is Saul Carvey, broadsending for Kasserat Public Radio, beaming around the globe from the Hellspire Tower in downtown Kasserat, bringing you news from around the realm. We interrupt this week's episode of Lawful Good and Order to bring you this update. Reports are still coming in from around the realm of the recent occurrence, but much still remains a mystery. The Council of the Gods held an emergency meeting and moments ago released this brief statement. A great evil has been defeated, ending a divine conflict that began with the gods' war. It is now time for peace and prosperity. The Council explained nothing else and provided no more detail, leaving the rest of the realm left wondering what happened. We here at KPR will endeavor to learn more, and now we return you to your regularly scheduled program. A door slams closed, and we find ourselves in the common room of a roadside inn. The room is busy serving dinner to a crowd of travelers. The inn is otherwise unremarkable in appearance. For a moment, everyone stops as four grim men in armor step into the room with weapons drawn. The merry room quickly fills with tension and fear. Ah, uh, what's the meaning of this? The innkeeper asks as he approaches the men. Stay out of this unless you want to die. There they are in the back. One of the men shouts, pointing to a table in the back of the room. What appears to be a family of commoners sits at the table. Five are adults dressed in simple clothes, while the last is a youth with boyish face and the frame of a child quickly approaching manhood. Ah, oh, get out. You're not welcome here and I won't have you bothering these people. Don't make me... Ugh! The innkeeper doubles over and falls to the floor after a vicious stab from one of the armored men. Quickly, the common room descends into chaos while people scatter and begin to run for the exits. The family in the back quickly stands and draws hidden weapons while assuming fighting stances. Run, my lord! Get to the horses! I meet us at the next safe house. 
The boy nods in acceptance, but hesitates. Go! Now! Every second matters. The boy jumps up onto the table and pulls open the shutters of a nearby window. He begins to climb through, but he risks a glance back to see the armored men cutting their way towards him with grim efficiency. The fear in his face grows as he leaps out of the window onto the ground. With a small stumble, he gains his footing and, and runs towards the stables. Shouts and battle cries can be heard above the sound of screams and the clattering of people running away while those still inside die valiantly. The boy picks up speed and he runs towards the safety of the open stable doors. As he passes through the doorway, he runs wide around a corner, hoping to quickly run to the far end where his horse is tied up. But as he rounds the corner, a large hand flashes out and smashes the boy violently to the ground. Before he can catch his breath, the boy is grabbed and thrown with great force down the length of the stable. With his vision blurry and breaths difficult to manage, the boy tries to lift his head. He sees three armored men, one of them so large he could pass for an ogre. You're worth a lot of money to somebody, boy, but pays the same, dead or alive. The boy tries to form an insult, but his mouth won't form the words, and it takes all of his efforts to gasp for air. The three men stalk forwards, and the boy closes his eyes as the shadows of his attackers loom over him. His face seems defiant, but his injured body is too weak to muster a defense. There's the sound of a blade being drawn from its sheath, and suddenly the unmistakable sound of a blade sinking into flesh. Then more stabs and cries of alarm, followed by the sound of a dead weight falling to the stable floor. A few seconds pass as the boy slowly opens his eyes again. Unsure why he's not dead, it takes a moment for his blurry vision to focus. He sees the three armored men dead on the stable floor, with a man in black leather wearing bandoliers full of daggers across his chest. The man bows slightly. You didn't fear anything ever again, Lord Blavier. Assure innocent me, I am here to prepare for his return, and I swear to you as the loyal son of Arencia that any who seek to harm you will know only fear and failure. The camera pans back, revealing Enthiel's face, but his face looks slightly different. For the first time in a very long time, a slight smile emerges on the formerly grim face. Gather yourself quickly, though. We have a lot of work to do. The sound of footsteps marks the entrance of the armored men from the inn. With blood on their blades, it is clear they murdered many people and now seek their prize. Enthiel slowly turns to face them. Yeah. Come forth and die, children. The rangers have a new mission, and I will never fail. The camera pans away from the sounds of battle and death. Outside, the trees begin to bristle, and the winds begin to change. Good day, listeners. This is Saul Carvey, broadsending for Kasserat Public Radio, beaming around the globe from the Hellspire Tower in downtown Kasserat bringing you news from around the realm. New report from the Church of Asmodeus. A new regent has been named. Regent Rosanna has assumed office and indeed has been serving as de facto head of the church since the disappearance of the former regent. Church officials state the mysterious disappearance of the former regent was no mystery at all. Instead, the regent had simply been recalled from service by Asmodeus himself and that a succession plan was in place and only needed to be ratified. Business is booming across the realm. The opening of the Seven Dwarven Kingdoms has become a catalyst for trade. Every available ship has been pressed into service, with shipbuilders currently unable to keep up with demand. The waterways were open, and the trade winds have been surprisingly favorable all summer. Orcs and goblins and kobolds, oh my! 
Sentient humanoids of a great many species are making their presence known across the realm. Many areas thought to be sparsely populated have instead found to contain many newcomers, formerly prisoners and slaves, products of hidden farms of a great evil, bred for war. These once called monstrous humanoids now find themselves in charge of their own destinies, creating political turmoil on many continents. But let's not forget about the more familiar races. Halflings, gnomes, and elves have also made a resurgence. Once hidden away inside the magical kingdom of Atresh and under the safety of the goddess Kalmia, many now return to their former homes and lands. But not all are happy of this return, and more than a few land disputes are causing trouble around the realm. The familiar sight and sound of Port Hallbeck comes slowly into focus. We follow a group of laughing residents through a door and inside the Powder Keg Tavern, a recently finished building with a well-built facade turning the front of the building into the forecastle of a ship and the interior of the building into a cargo hold. Carvings and paintings along the wall commemorate the Battle of Port Hallbeck and its explosive end. Cheers and song fill the air. The recently opened tavern has quickly become popular, and the residents find themselves with much to celebrate. Near the middle of the room sit four adventurers, new and inexperienced but anxious to prove themselves. As they discuss their plans, an old man walks up to the table. Hey, you there! You four Carlisle's newest hires, aren't you? Gonna brave the wilds of Faradine, try to earn some fame and fortune. Hey, you know what? I like the look of you four. Here. Have a bag of potions. They should help you on your journeys. I mean, I'm, after all, I'm betting on you for. Marcus trails off and a buxom server passes by and flashes the old man a shy smile. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, well, good luck, lads. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm gonna head to the bar. I'm getting a little thirsty. As Marcus walks away on a mission, he passes by Jean Bart, making his way through the crowded tavern. John Bart stops and eyes a pair of figures sitting in a shadowy table in a back corner. The boys put in some fine work on this place. Well, you paid a lot of your um, hard-earned coin to build this little slice of heaven. Now, don't go insulting the proprietor of the most popular place on the continent. As an honest businessman and owner of a legitimate establishment, I am deeply offended. Impressive! You said that with a straight face. Well... Considering how much of my <clears throat> hard-earned coin is now your hard-earned coin, no reason for you to be salty. Once again, you come out on top and looking squeaky clean. Well, I, uh, I learned a lot of hard lessons for coming here. Rob trails off as Jean Bart quietly slides into his seat at the table uninvited. Hmm. Can we help you with something? Jean Bart places a gold piece on the center of the table and slides it across. Tell me everything you know about Artie's Port. Artie's Port? Eh, uh, what's your interest? New contract. Well, my friend, you've come to the right place. The two of us grew up there and know every street and shadow. But, uh, it's gonna cost you a few more of those shiny gold coins. Coins I have. Time and patience. For you, I do not. You'll get paid for good information only. To reinforce this point, John Bart places a stack of gold coins on the table. Oh, my new friend. Money talks, and we have plenty to tell you. Yeah, but we'd better order more drinks. 
This is uh, this is gonna take a while. We slowly pan away from the trio and back to the cheerful tavern patrons. The future of Port Helbeck seems bright, and the fortune of its residents is on the rise. The shadow of the continent has been lifted, and opportunities await those brave enough to return to Faradun. sweeps over the now familiar landscape of Faradon. Pristine forests, plains, and rivers pass by, highlighting the beauty of the mostly uninhabited continent. Slowly, a scene comes into view. It is the site of the once grand city of Oakcrest, long since buried and hidden away, a grim casualty of the Great Cataclysm. But now we see tents, pavilions, and buildings strung out at the edge of the river, an encampment of some size. The sounds of shovels and picks can be heard along with the grunts and work songs of nearly a thousand dwarves as they toil away, busy with the grand excavation. Indeed, their efforts have already borne fruit. A few buildings have already been uncovered, yielding minor artifacts and treasure. News has spread far and wide, and even now, scholars and archaeologists from across the realm make their way to the ruins of Oakcrest. But the camera moves on toward the edge of the dig and into an impression in the ground. Here, the soil has been removed, revealing the top of an old structure. A set of makeshift stairs lead below. A dust-covered dwarf beckons someone forward. We see a large pair of boots step onto the stairs and begin a cautious plod below. Soon, we are in a dark and ancient hallway. Several dwarves lead the mysterious figure below. While they have no need of the light themselves, two of the dwarves carry aloft gemstones that give off a faint glow. The pathway turns into stairs, and the scene descends lower and lower. Along the way, we see small groups of dwarves working away to clear the many passageways and tunnels that lead in all directions. Each group pauses to take a look at the mysterious stranger being led through a maze of hallways and staircases. We see different styles the deeper you go. Must have been a big project built in about three stages. Aye, some of it has collapsed. It will take a long time to uncover it all, though. So far, no clue what the building was, but we've barely just begun. We stumbled across this, oh, about a month ago, I'd say. Uh, stumbled? Um, I knew it was here. Uh, my new god told me. <laughs> new god, old god, same thing. Old, but new, I guess. Anyway, I led us here. Knew there was a doorway down this passage. It didn't quite, uh, take him at face value at first. Uh, he's a good lad, but doesn't always quite pay attention to what's in front of him. Maggie kind of cleared the passage herself. There was a collapse here. Looked natural enough, but you can see now that it was designed that way. There was a, a checker mechanism, but looks like someone built a failsafe, a, a way to seal the tunnel off. Aye, uh, someone didn't want this place to be found. The heavy boots stalk forward as the dwarves move down the tunnel, the silent figure studying everything as they pass. The dwarves pass down a long hallway to a doorway. To each side are doors and doorways. The room has the obvious look and feel of a prison. Just normal rooms up here, nothing too noteworthy. Bones and dust, mostly. Aye, the interesting stuff is below. We follow the group down another passageway and a set of long, twisting stairs, passing two larger rooms with sturdy doors and bars, checkpoints and choke points with disabled traps alongside. Whatever was kept in this section of the prison was not meant to be easy to reach. 
For now, the doors are flung open and the group passes through to old defenses and into another corridor filled with a dozen thick doors. These cells are larger. Looks like most of them are well furnished. Curious for the prison. Aye, this far down seems to have offered some protection. Everything seems to be in better shape in this area. Eh, better, but I wouldn't say great. Aye, more bones and dust. Um, well, we hope to learn more as we study. It's the one at the end. That's why we sent for you. That's different. Uh, the only door that was left open. And, well... It's just better if you take a look for yourself. The camera follows the boots, last few steps down the corridor and into the doorway. Inside is a lavish room. Silks, jewels, opulent furnishings, and priceless works of art are on the walls. A fortune of finery and history. But none of the wealth and riches seem to matter as only one item draws attention. Resting on a thin pedestal in the center of the room is a round, polished stone. Moving closer, we begin to see an image in the stone. Gazing into the stone, we see Maggie and Colum standing in the doorway, but the image is centered on the man directly in front of them, Craven Carlyle. As he moves, we realize that we are not seeing a reflection, but rather the seeing stone is centered on Carlyle and follows him as he walks a circle around the room. And this is why we sent for you. You were in the privy when we first came in. <laughs> uh, it, it always shows just you. We could have watched your entire journey here. Well, we, uh, we thought it a bit indecent, a spy. So we were hoping you could tell us why this room is different. Looks downright lived in. Maybe you would know what it means. It, it, it means she, she was here. She's, she's alive. She, all this time. Uh, who who was here? My mother. This just in. After two short years of free trade, the pirate nation has reasserted themselves as a major political power. Though they suffered greatly during the year of troubles, they have been able to quickly recover and put forth their strength now calling themselves the Sovereign Seas Confederation and claiming all the high seas as their territory. They have the daunting task of enforcing their claim. While unpleasant incidents have been few, a message has been sent loud and clear. The oceans belong to the Pirate Nation... Um, excuse me, the Sovereign Seas Confederation. And those wishing to trade and travel must once again pay tribute for the privilege. All except Caliban, of course. The new duke has quickly consolidated his hold on the city and renewed the city's long-standing relationship with the pirate nation. Details are unclear, but rumors hold that cargo moving through Caliban is exempt from tribute. But Caliban is not the only city to acknowledge the new balance of power. Artisport, already the realm's largest city, is now growing in leaps and bounds. The powerful guilds of Artisport have become one of the driving forces of prosperity throughout the realm, and have swiftly made their own deal with the Sovereign Seas Confederation, still commonly referred to as the Pirate Nation. While cargo passing through Artisport still pays tribute, the fees come at a friendly discount. It is dark and stormy at sea. An old battered ship creaks through the night. Sailors haggard and exhausted work to keep the ship facing into the waves. On the side of the ship, several hands haul up several ropes. As they reach the end of the rope, several forms flop onto the deck. They're creatures we have seen before. They are the children of Rasia. 
but they seem frail and weak. Around their necks are thick metal collars. A deckhand wielding a strange staff pokes the children, and the staff arcs with an aggressive shock. The children recoil. Suddenly the deckhand begins to shrink out of the way as a robed figure approaches. I won't stay down. Says I have looked everywhere. The robed figure pulls back his hood, and we see the green skin. Not everywhere. He is here. I can feel it. This is where it happened. What do you want me to do? Send them back down. Tell them they have another hour before I start killing them off, one by one. I want those bones. I have much work to do, and I could use the help of an old friend. <laughs> we see the Greenskin smile and turn away. The reluctant children drag themselves over the side of the ship and back into the water. Father Becker stands in a clearing a bit away from the more developed areas of Kassara. His hands are outstretched and his eyes are closed in concentration. The ground around him shakes and after a few moments, a large stone slab thrusts through the earth. Father Becker continues to concentrate and another slab arises from the earth to join the first. A Kassara bureaucrat, more clerk than cleric, runs up to Father Becker, waving his hands, alarm evident on his face. Sir, sir, what are you doing? Stop it! Stop this immediately! Father Becker's senses gradually return to reality and the ground stops shaking. He opens his eyes and turns to regard the bureaucrat. You know, that, that is really irritating. P pulling those rocks up, that takes a lot of concentration. It, it's not like I can just snap my fingers and they appear. I mean, those things are heavy. Sir, I don't know who you are or what do you think you're doing here, but you have to stop immediately. Well, if you stop interrupting me, I could get this done quicker. I can't stay around here very long anyway. One of my wives is pregnant again. I mean, you, you can't imagine the trouble I'll get into if I'm not back in time. You know, she's dwarven, you see, and they get so bent out of shape if you think they've done them wrong. And next thing you know, I'll have a whole clan coming down on me. And I mean, I, I'm sure you understand. I, it, well, no, not really. I, I don't date much, you know. God's breath, is that a dinosaur? Dinosaur? Where? Oh, 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 yeah, you mean behind the rock? Yeah, that that's a velociraptor, and, you know, don't worry, he he's fine, he's fine, you know. Uh, 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 sit, Roddy, Roddy, sit. You named the dinosaur Rosie? Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, <clears throat> he's homicidal, and he has an unstable personality, so, you know, seemed fitting. Uh, d don't worry, though, I mean, he'll behave as, as long as I keep an eye on him, and, um, oh, yeah, uh, hmm, that reminds me, uh, where is that T-Rex? Um, T-Rex. Yes, um, Tyrannosaurus Rex. Now, where did he go? Last time I saw him, he was wandering off in that direction. Um, oh, that's towards the town. Oh, is it? Oh. Well, I mean, don't worry. He's he's fed recently, so he's probably just looking for a place to take a nap. I, I'm, I'm sure it'll be fine. Sir, I don't know what you think you're doing here, but you simply must stop. What are you doing here anyway? Frankly, I, I don't see how it could be any more obvious. I mean, I'm, a, I'm erecting a temple to Imran, the primal god of Earth. Imran? 
Yes, yes. Surely, surely you've heard of him. Uh, well, yes, of, of, of course. He's one of the four primal gods. The, the Earth One, you say? Yes, the Earth One. I, I could never really keep them straight. Which one is the Air One again? I mean, if, if you don't, well, just uh, give, give me a minute. Give me a minute. Well, sir, I, uh, go, uh, go, uh, Gorara, uh, Gorara. Uh, <laughs> I knew it'd come to me. Yeah, good, good old Gorara. Uh, primal god of air, sure. Yeah, okay, uh, now, uh, right, if you'll, uh, excuse me, I'll, I'm gonna get back to work here. Sir, I, I am sorry, but you simply cannot just erect a temple here. Why, why not? I mean, this is the place that was set aside for Emerin, uh, promise, so to speak, and now the time has come. Sir. Father Becker. Excuse, excuse me? Father Becker. My name is Father Becker. Father Becker. Well, I mean, technically, it's it's Pontiff Becker, but I, I don't like to stand on ceremony. Pontiff Becker, you don't you don't like you don't like Pontiff? How, how about Cardinal? No, um, maybe Archbishop? I mean, Avatar just sounds so intimidating, <laughs> you know. I I don't. Archimandrite? Huh? Archimandrite? No? You don't like? Hmm. Sir, I'm sorry, but I I have no clue who you are. Now, if you will just uh, come with me, Father Becker. You know, the, the whole Faradon thing? We stopped the Master by defeating the cultists, you know? Oh, of course, yes. Oh, so you, okay, so you remember me then? Not, not really. The name, I guess, is vaguely familiar. But I, I don't recall all the details. I mean, I'm very busy around here. Yeah, I'm sure you are. Uh, disappointing, nevertheless. But uh, in any case, this is the place that I am to build the temple to Imran. He wheels it, and we feel that the time is right. But you cannot... You listen, the ch church is coming along nicely, you know? I mean, we've got a dozen congregations already, and four temples built, and a, another on the way, and, and this one, of course. I mean, we're, we're very happy with the progress. We? Imran and I. Um, I am his avatar here in the realms, and we have determined that it is his right that he takes his place among those venerated here. And, of course, uh, that he takes his seat on the council. Ah, sir, no one has said anything about this to me. I'm, I'm sure that's just some sort of bureaucratic oversight. Uh, you'll get it all sorted out. Oh, the paperwork alone. I'll tell you what. You just go ahead and drop all the paperwork you want, and I'll be happy to sign. Uh, that's not, not what I mean, sir. You don't have the permission. I, uh, The permits, I'm afraid I simply cannot allow you to continue. Uh, is, that, is that so? Permission, you say? Perhaps I haven't made myself clear. This is the place that was promised to Emer, primal god of Earth. I am his avatar, his designated representative in the realms. I speak on his behalf. We have decided it is time to raise his temple. We will not be denied. I, then I'll just go get the started. And paperwork. Splendid. Hey, just bring it back by here uh, whenever you're done. And, um... Oh, yeah, the T-Rex. Yes, uh, that way is towards town, you say? Yes. Good, good. Um, carry on, carry on. I'll, I'll be back. Father Becker runs off towards the sound of screams. 
Although a decade has passed since the year of troubles, the fallout of that mysterious event is still changing the realm. Kasserat City itself is abuzz with divine news. The primal gods have finally taken their rightful place at the Council of the Gods, or at least their four representatives have. Adding their number to the newly restored Dwarven Pantheon has nearly doubled the size of the Council, with rumors still of other gods awakening and citizens wondering what the future holds with so many divine beings at work. Will peace be maintained? Will the Asmodian hold on political power begin to wane? Only time will tell. News from the continent of Faradon. The Orc Republic and the Dwarven city of Oakcrest have signed a peace agreement, ending nearly two years of skirmishes and raids. Mediated by representatives from the free city of Remembrance Cove and acknowledged by the Southern Alliance of Faradon, the Orc Republic is now a sovereign kingdom. However, tensions seem to be flaring on the continent of Orencia. The nations of Estrella and Aklash seem to be on the brink of war, each blaming the other for rebel insurgencies. Neighboring nations have been busy muddying the political waters and loyalties are being tested while forces gather. But rumors speak of a peasant movement to return to a more centralized power and restore the ancient nation of Orencia, unifying the splintered kingdoms. Though a reunified kingdom seems unlikely, something is afoot in Orencia. Sad news from Kasserat, General Anastasia has passed. After a long life and service to Tardis, she has left the world for a new heavenly home. The great general will lie in state for a month before internment. Word from the Keep has Halandra Orissus as the frontrunner to be named in the now vacant position and represent Tardis at the Council of the Gods. The camera arrives at a scene inside of a large octagonal room made of granite, with small but numerous runic carvings inlaid with gold to highlight their presence. Thin crimson fabrics make for a more decorative than practical rug that covers the areas of the room meant to be walked upon. One grand gated fireplace illuminates the room along with the torches affixed to the wall. A large archway on the northernmost end opens the room to the outdoors, with a balcony overlooking the city. Two figures wearing regal clothes stand on the balcony, sipping Fridian wine, looking at the city as lamps pierce through the dark night. High priest, I wish not to question your divine wisdom. I, I seek only to understand your path so that we may help it grow together. You're not so certain. There is much to be skeptical of in this world. It no longer surprises me how few believe in anything. The gods have granted me a vision. Saw that thing, that devilish shirin as it calls itself. The god showed me how he schemes to burn this world, to destroy everything we hold dear. Oh, I, I see. It was, it was wise to stop him before he poisoned these lands further. However, it seems with his devil magic he has swayed many from the path of the gods. The heathens are nothing but followers to an empty cause, like lemmings. Cut off the head of their master and they shall scatter. Then we only need to begin another inquisition to cleanse the lands of this devil's poison. After all, we must be more proactive in our methods. We cannot expect the gods to do all the work. That must be why he was captured so easily. Even the legendary Asherion is subject to their will. The conversation is interrupted by a nearby stumble and a crash. A moment later, another priest rushes in. Your Eminence, we have bad news. Most terrible news. There is no good or bad news. 
There is only news, my dear disciple. Now calm yourself. And tell what has caused your discontent. Asherian has escaped. Oh, that is uh, bad news. Impossible! Those cells are unbreakable and guarded by a most capable. If he's that strong, then why did he come so peacefully when he was arrested? A breeze begins to fill the room. Loose pages are blown to the floor and a nearby window rattles most unpeacefully. A shadow appears behind the doorway and a voice is heard. Because, young one, that was the fastest way to get to the high priest of Astrella. Gods! Gods! The demon is here! A moment passes in silence as it becomes clear to all that no help is coming. I have much to do. And my work only begins here. You bring suffering upon the people you have sworn to protect, and your reign of terror will end today. You see, Guar feels that some changes need to be made. So I've decided to be a little more proactive in my methods. No! The scene fades away as the small breeze builds to a roar, drowning out the sound of the distant screams. So in the aftermath of the after the climactic finale, uh, Hatham, you know, separates from the group eventually and mourns the uh, finds out about Zills and mourns him, of course, uh, and does his own thing for a little while uh, in the role of the hunter and hones his his demonic knowledge and practices the banishment ritual that he learned from the, the Asmodian book, and eventually tries to return to academic life and. After a couple of months, he he's sitting down and poring over tests, grading, and just thinks to himself about how uh, how boring and dull it all is. And he thinks to himself, well, he life just can't go back to quite the way it was. So Hatham springs out of his chair and packs his bags and rents off and hires the first boat he can back to Faradon, uh, where he founds a school of his own for hunters. He starts with a small class, hires Rob the Builder to build a uh, an academy on Faradon, where he instructs uh, people of all ages to follow in uh, the path of the hunter, become hunters of their own. Toils away, eventually creating an alchemical stone of his own to harness the power of said ritual. After months and months of uh, labor, he finally uh, well, he takes with tongs out of a smoking beaker a uh, finished gem, one that uh, harnesses the ritual that he used to banish Gongrenok. Fritz uh, sp- sprints on over and goes, <laughs> you did it! And so eventually he uh, he's able to, to teach others how to make less, less powerful versions. Uh, it's part of part of the graduation from from this academy is one crafts their own alchemical gem to uh, to aid in the banishment of demons, and they affix it to their weapon. So I uh, hate them as you know, a couple decades older. Uh, got some white in his hair, and his glasses are even even thicker. His vision is 
has gone even a little bit more, uh, and he, he's in his office looking out on the grounds where some of the students are practicing and studying, and Fritz scampers down his arm, and he holds him in his hand, and he looks at me and says, Well, Fritz, I think, uh, I think the new batch of students are going to work out quite well, aren't they? Ah, they've come a long way. So have you. I've tried to be the best teacher that I could, so... Do you, uh, do you think they'll be successful? I hope so. What one can really do is, uh, you know, be the best teacher you can and then send them out in the world and they're free to choose their own path. I hope they'll remember you. I hope so, too. one expired suddenly taken away from you too quickly have you ever wished you just had that one last opportunity to say goodbye then you're in luck the eternal nap school of necromancy and mortuarium can help make your wishes come true of course anyone who calls us old fashioned won't hear an argument from us we know how to take a compliment. McGinty's Dwarven Whiskey. For the finer things in life. Hi, I'm Carl Lightfingers. And if you're looking for quality carts at bargain prices, I promise you will not find a better deal in this or any prime material plane. In fact, uh, I'm so sure of it that if you find a better price, I will not only match it, but I will throw in a set of matching cobalt hide cart mats. Absolutely free! I'll have a McGinty's. I'll have a McGinty's. I will take a McGinty's. Ah, for sure, I'll have a McGinty's. The only thing finer than this whiskey are the friends you share it with. McGinty's Dwarven Whiskey for the finer things in life. So I said to her, just grasp my wand firmly, and you'll be amazed at what comes out at the other end. <laughs> That's right. Roll a nat 20 in the bedroom with the Sorcerer's Guide to picking up chicks. Kavi broadsending for Kasarat Public Radio, beaming around the globe from the Hellspire Tower in downtown Kasarat, bringing you news from around the realm. The Golden Age has come to an end. After centuries of peace and prosperity, war once again has broken out amid divine tensions. The camera pans down the coast of Faradin as we travel through the west. It alights on a large section of beach where the sand turns red. There's a city there in a port, lying in ruins. A hundred ships all smashed together, weathered by age. And then a familiar looking ship begins to approach it, made of coral wooden magic. The new impudence sails into port. We see a few figures jump off. A mix of people, an elf, an orc, and a collection of other misfits. Time passes. The red sand shores begin to take shape. 
and over a hundred years pass, it turns from the red sand shores into a place people can actually live and come. And a sign is posted, Remembrance Cove, and the city grows prosperous as we see everyone welcome, dwarves, humans, orcs, elves, kobolds, anyone that is willing to build a new life and be free of the past is welcome at Remembrance Cove. We see a series of monuments along the beach, the names of those forgotten, but one person has made it his life work to remember them. And time passes and passes, and we pan to the beach, where a young man is playing along the water's edge. Appears to be a teenager, and like most of his kind are completely bored out of his mind. But sitting on some driftwood along watching is an old man with hair grown long and white and a beard that matches, wearing a captain's hat, and he's just sitting and watching. The young man turns and sees the figure. They know each other a little bit. He walks up and begins to talk to him. Did you know my, my great-grandfather? Right, here's the thing. I, I did know your great-grandfather. He was a good friend of mine. He was one of the good ones. You named after him, and I, I, I can kind of see it. We see that, like, he scratches his neck. An older Roddy has black veins running up from his hand through his neck. He coughs. He appears to be not in great shape. Right, I'm getting pretty close to checking out. So I thought elves lived forever. <laughs> well, uh, I wish that was true. When I was your age, I was I got too close to something really bad. Back when this continent died, uh, it's taken some time, but it's uh, finally caught up to me. I uh, don't think I've got a lot more time left. And uh, Roddy leans forward on his sword, using it kind of like a cane. That's a mighty nice sword there. This? <laughs> yeah. He's gotten me through quite a few fights. <laughs> Whoever's the Avatar Razor gets to use it. You want to look at it? Oh, would I? Roddy hands the sword over to the young man. It's heavy in his hand, but he unsheaths it. Startled as the blade snaps to life as flames grow on it. Right, it's, it's okay. It won't hurt you. Whoever wields that sword, the, the flames don't hurt him. You like it? Yeah, I like it. It's awfully heavy, but feels good. What, uh, what, what's your thoughts on your future, young man? I, I don't know. I hadn't really thought that far ahead. Your father probably wants you to go to that Hunter Academy. All my brothers are going there already. I'm the youngest. Is that what you want? I don't know. Not really. Well, maybe the future has something a little different for you in mind. Why don't you, uh, why don't you hold on to that? Well, you mean it. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I, I don't think I need it anymore. Wow. Someone's gonna be along shortly. Whatever the Sherian looks like nowadays. There's always an Sherian running around. Uh, he's gonna have reason to come here pretty soon. Show it to him when you meet him. I reckon he'll show you how to use it. He also know my great-grandfather. He did. We all work together. 
With that, Roddy kind of stands up and pats himself off and walks to the edge of the beach where there's a little boat with a tiny sail. He pushes it into the water and opens the sail and begins to head out into the water. Right. Well, good luck with it, Dan, kid. You're gonna need it. Roddy sails off into the sunset, past the horizon, where the young man can't see him anymore. Confused about the encounter, he looks at the sword holding it in his hands, and then looks up as the water begins to rise. It draws forth to the young man and touches his face, and the young man understands something now. Raja calls him. And the camera begins to pan across the continent as we approach Hallbeck, much larger now, a bustling city, the primary city of Faraday now, and panning to an old house made of shipwrecked timbers. We pan to a bed, and laying in it, smiling, is Roddy, who finally spent a night in Hallbeck House. of the Nine Hells, a prisoner is brought before the throne of Asmodeus. The Lord of the Devil reaches low and touches the brow of a disheveled tiefling, unceremoniously dumped at his feet. The tiefling flinches slightly as a series of visions enter his thought. Minutes pass as the tiefling watches these visions with a slight smile on his face. Thank, thank you, my lord. It, it's good to see the realm prosper. Asmodeus does not speak, but we hear his thoughts. A realm with a strong church in my name. A realm with many followers. Many souls to do my bidding and fill my halls. Much power I draw from them, as I do those many realms. You succeeded in a task where most would fail. Fulfilled your contract to the letter. As, as fitting one of your servants, my lord. And yet you still managed to conspire against me and keep me from a great prize. A great power more valuable than all the souls of many realms. I, I conspired only to keep you safe and protect you. So you say. But I was never in any danger. Few in all existence can even dream of challenging my might. True, my lord, but you are in danger from the one person who can destroy you. Oh, pray tell, who is that? You, my lord. Such power would have changed you, corrupted you. No doubt you would have resisted for longer than any other, but eventually you would have destroyed yourself to become something new. More powerful, but less noble. Stronger of body, but weaker of will. Others would unite against you, and your power base would be shattered. Asmodeus sits still and silent for several long minutes. You are too clever, my child. Far too clever indeed. I should scatter your soul and be rid of you. My soul is yours to claim whenever you wish, my lord. Or perhaps return to your cells. A few more centuries would probably teach me humility. Ah, I would punish you less if you showed more fear in my presence. No, I have something else in mind. A punishment suited to your crime. An imp scurries forth, holding a folder of parchments. It hands them to the tiefling before scurrying away. There is another realm that needs your attention. An assignment more difficult than your last. The tiefling thumbs through the parchment with a scowl. Oh dear, oh dear. 
I must get to work right away. Not a moment to lose. This has been Return to Feridon, an epic campaign introducing the Mirrored Lands, a young realm whose history is still being written. The Adventurer's Vault has many more stories to tell, and I hope you join us on our continuing adventures.